funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, can New Jersey keep up with the World Cup? Transit experts question the readiness of the state's infrastructure in preparation for this global event. I think it's critical to the success of the of the games. It's critical to the success and the experience that we deliver to visitors that may be coming here for the first time. Plus, NJ decides 2024. The race is on. From the competitive congressional campaigns to a contentious Senate race, we're breaking it all down. They are all scrambling all of the campaigns to figure out how they can motivate their voters to turn out. Also, paid family leave takes center stage in Trenton today as lawmakers try once again to revise the state's law despite pushback from the business community. This bill just goes too far, unfortunately, and makes it harder for people to do business in New Jersey. And calling any and all potential EMTs, Monmouth County launches an emergency medical service operation to combat the ongoing shortage. Unfortunately, with family matters and dual income jobs, that volunteerism has become a little bit more difficult in our communities. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJ PBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Thursday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. When it comes to shuttling thousands of amped up fans for the 2026 World Cup final, New Jersey Transit says bring it. The statewide rail agency believes it's ready to handle the massive international crowd expected for the game. The Murphy administration this week pledged NJT is different than a decade ago when throngs of frustrated fans were left stranded at the Meadowland Stadium after the Super Bowl. Plus, he said millions of dollars of infrastructure upgrades will be added between now and the final. Commuter advocates say they're frustrated the state is able to find the money for improvements when it comes to a major event, but not for daily trips taken by everyday residents. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. Delirious cheers from Jersey movers and shakers greeted FIFA's selection of MetLife Stadium for the 2026 World Cup final game. But that's only the kickoff. Now comes the real challenge when more than 80,000 hyped up soccer fans descend on the Meadowlands, NJ Transit will have to bring its A game. No, no, it, it's, it's critical. It's critical to the success of the of the games. It's critical to the success and the experience that we deliver to visitors that may be coming here for the first time. Jim Kirkos heads the Meadowlands Chamber of Commerce and says both the venue and the event present unusual and complex problems, including the lack of walkways to the stadium. You can't you can't stay at a hotel on Patterson Plank Road and walk into the complex. You still need to be transported into the complex, right? Remember too, there are security measures. And, and sometimes the security entities place some restrictions on 
how quickly and how we can move people in and out of the secure zone. NJ Transit tweeted it can't wait to take customers to the FIFA World Cup final. Its Meadowlands rail service can move about 10,000 people an hour in or out of the venue to the rail junction in Secaucus. But it's made some spectacular fumbles like the 2014 Super Bowl and WrestleMania 2019, stranding angry crowds for hours. Back then, Governor Murphy vowed, we're fixing it, but I, 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 we're going to learn from this, and, and, and uh, I'll be damned if it happens again. Murphy says the agency's redeemed itself lately, handling the Taylor Swift and K-pop concert crowds with relative agility, and NJ Transit's planning to build a new Meadowlands Transitway. It'll run along government-owned land, including the Turnpike, and move 12,000 people an hour for seven miles between the Secaucus train station and MetLife Stadium. Planning advocates say performance will be crucial. While NJ Transit did a really good job during Taylor Swift, and Beyonce, and those are huge events. They still pale in comparison to the size of a worldwide event like World Cup. It's a dramatically different NJ Transit today than it was 10 years ago. That's the short and simple reason. And it will be yet again even uh, stronger in two and a half years. So just see a consistent performance in, in, in whatever energies that NJ Transit put into what I just said, it'll be that on steroids. Two time clocks are ticking here, and NJ Transit spokesman says that the transitway is slated for completion in plenty of time for the World Cup. Meanwhile, the agency's facing a looming fiscal cliff. What New Jerseyans deserve is good and reliable and expanded transportation options, not just for the World Cup, but all year long to get to work, to get to school, to get to where they need to go. Public transit advocates have called on lawmakers to address NJ Transit's budget woes by enacting a dedicated funding source. They also point out that on any given day, the system can encounter problems that would be embarrassing during a World Cup event attended by folks with superb mass transit. There's going to be a lot of people that have that are flooding northern New Jersey, that have seen what good bus system and transit system looks like, and they're going to be comparing it to what they've written back home. An NJ Transit spokesman stated it's much too premature to share specific details regarding the operational plan. However, please be assured that the planning's well underway, and NJ Transit's confident that the travel experience to and from MetLife Stadium will meet and exceed the expectations of all those choosing to use public transit. For Kirkhouse, NJ Transit's performance can make or break this opportunity. Uh, and, and if we're going to continue to utilize and leverage the fact that we're hosting eight games and the World Cup final to continue to bring visitors back to our region to stay, play, eat, shop and, and visit, uh, then then their experience and being able to move around and obviously on game days. The experience of mobility uh, is good. At the Meadowlands, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. Lawmakers are taking another stab at expanding New Jersey's paid family leave law. Advocates wanted to see job protections for workers who take family leave extended to all businesses statewide, regardless of size. But lawmakers recently amended the bill to exclude businesses with less than five employees. That's a compromise some legislators thought would help it cross the finish line. But as Raven Santana reports, activists argue this version leaves behind more than a million workers in New Pay leave is a critical component um, so that caregivers can 
effectively participate in the labor workforce. Today, a bill that would require companies with five or more employees to provide paid family leave advance out of committee. It's a proposed revision to current law, which requires a company with at least 30 employees to provide them up to 12 weeks of paid leave during a two-year period to care for a sick relative or for a newborn or a child who has recently been adopted or fostered. Well, paid leave really helps level the playing field for all employers. Smaller employers may not be able to afford to pay uh, maternity leave, parental leave, family leave themselves. So what we have in New Jersey is a state program, and it's actually funded only only through employee payroll taxes. And so it actually costs the employer nothing. Yara Wilman Cole is Workplace Justice Program Director for NJ Citizen Action. Wilman Cole joined other advocates who share testimony and explain how challenging life can be for workers without paid family leave. For me, with my previous airline, um, unfortunately I suffered a miscarriage and I had to take a lot of time off for surgery and, and self-care and I did not have access to uh, paid leave through the state. I didn't. Also, I also did not have access to any type of disability or leave through my job, and it was, I, it was a lot of things I didn't understand, and I didn't have the. Of course, going through grief and all of that, I didn't have the mental capacity to try to fight the, the red lines and, and read and, and, and figure this out. And I didn't have anyone advocating for me. I didn't have any explanations either. I was just told I don't qualify. But advocates today said they still don't support the bill as it's currently written. This bill only addresses the size of the employer in terms of job protection. And really, there's about a million workers that are left out because of the two other components of job protection eligibility, which require that you're at your job a year and that you work a thousand hours. Those are not addressed in this legislation and what it means is we're disproportionately leaving out mostly women workers, low-income workers, part-time workers, more precarious workers already that really need the paid leave, they need the job protection because without it they can't risk losing their job and they can't afford to go without pay so they need both the job protection and the paid leave benefit. Under the current law, employees would be able to return to the same job after that period, and employers would also be required to maintain that absent employees' benefits, including insurance. But businesses with under 30 employees are not required to do so. But the state chamber uh, respectfully opposes this legislation because of the disproportionate impact it's going to have on small businesses. So we ask this legislative body to please vote no on this legislation and let business owners decide what's best for their organization. But the bill isn't a win-win for everyone. A number of representatives from organizations, including the NJBIA, argue that the bill will hurt, not help, small businesses. So, for example, if you have a business that employs as few as 15 employees, so that would be captured under this bill. Let's say an employee goes out on leave. Maybe they're handling HR, accounting, compliance. They have a lot of tasks that they cover. If they go out on leave, and let's say somebody that's handling clerical work wants to cover for them and they do a fantastic job and the employer sees that, they really appreciate what they're seeing from this employee and they want to actually elevate somebody internally. They wouldn't be able to do so under this bill because they have to provide job reinstatement to the person that went out on leave. To Assemblyman Auth's line of questioning before, we think that may increase if you are seeking to fill skilled or knowledge uh, roles with temporary labor that you know may not have uh, permanency or a defined end date because there's already a guaranteed job going back to somebody else when they return from leave. 
Still, both sides say they're disappointed that their amendments to the bill were not included and the bill will move to the floor as is to be voted on on Monday. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Raven Santana. Well, New Jersey is in the midst of one of the most hectic primary election seasons we've seen in years. From the race to unseat embattled U.S. Senator Bob Menendez to the ripple effect that's caused on congressional elections in opposite corners of the state. And candidates are pulling in big fundraising dollars and endorsements, showing just how much is at stake. For a deeper look at the races to watch, I'm joined by Ryder University's director of the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics, Micah Rasmussen. Micah, always good to talk to you. So, of course, I have to start with the Senate because the now NJ PAC today endorsed Andy Kim over uh, Tammy Murphy, over Patricia Campos Medina, two women. What does this say? Is it backlash against the Tammy Murphy campaign? I, I think in this particular case, maybe not. I think in this case, what they're saying is that Andy Kim has been in Congress. He's been able to work on issues important to women, like abortion rights, um, like equal pay for women, and that they think that he's got a record to stand up on. Um, it doesn't mean that they think that Tammy Murphy wouldn't be great for them, but they think that they need to be with the person who's been with them. And in this case, that's Andy Kim. And in fact, they did sit down with the candidates, at least they said in their mm -hmm. statement that they released to the media, um, and went through a litany of questions with them. But that being said, there was a letter sent today by the uh, Andy Kim, Patricia Campos Medina, and Larry Hamm. Mm -hmm. um, Tammy Murphy was not asked to sign on to this letter, we should note, asking the 19 county organizations in New Jersey not to use this county line on the ballot, which we'll note 49 other states in the United States of right. America do not use, Sussex County, Salem County do not use. Um, and so does it even matter if he's getting endorsements like that when you have the power of the county line like Tammy does? I think everything is going to matter. I think there are some people for whom the county organization uh, endorsements are going to matter, and there are some people for whom the um, women's groups uh, endorsements are going to matter. I think it all matters at this point. This is a, a primary election in which not everybody is going to come out. It's not going to be like the kind of turnout we're going to see in November. So people have to be motivated. They have to have a reason to come out. And some of them are going to be motivated for different reasons. So I think in this case, they are all scrambling, all of the campaigns, to figure out how they can motivate their voters to turn out. As you say, and as you said in your lead-in, we're seeing campaigns um, and, and candidates come out more than we have seen in recent primaries. Uh, that's going to reinforce turnout from both ends. The Senate race is going to generate turnout, but all of these different House races that are getting multiple candidates are also going to increase turnout as well. Um, let me move on, uh, although I'm curious as to whether those county organizations will be uh, swayed in any way by this letter. Uh, in District 3, this is the race now for Andy Kim's seat because he's vacating that. Mm -hmm. You've got two former Assembly running mates, Herb Conaway, uh, Carol Murphy. Mm -hmm. They're not pulling in a whole lot of money like you might normally see, but what's the path forward for them? Um, this Is this going to be as contentious as some of the others? 
I, I, so Carol Murphy and um, her husband, we don't usually talk about spouses, but really some of the premier strategists and practitioners of campaign politics in New Jersey. And so I think you're going to see a first-rate campaign. They're not going to leave any stone unturned. She's been getting out in Monmouth County in the 25% of the district that uh, is Monmouth, in the portion of the, uh, the district that is Mercer and Hamilton. Um, so she's looking to reach beyond Burlington County. You're certainly going to see Herb Conaway doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, Murphy, by the way, says she's against using the, the county line, although she doesn't have it, Herb Conaway does. Which is pretty interesting because she's another one, like Andy Kim, they really haven't found their opposition to the line until now, right? So we do have to say that. But um, they're going to be looking to, um, um, you know, I, it's a little bit of a rope-a-dope, I think, in, in the amount of money that she's raised so far. Typically, you'll hide how much potential you have to raise money until the after the first report comes in, mm -hmm. try to lull the other side to mm -hmm. sleep. So I would expect that they're going to come out guns a-blazing as we get closer to the June primary. Okay, District 8, this is now uh, Robin Endes Jr.'s seat, which was targeted uh, because of his father. It's gotten really ugly between he and his challenger, Hoboken Mayor Ravi Bala. Right. I don't know how much uglier it could get, <laughs> um, but... Rob's got all the endorsements from Hudson County, so that stacks up when we're talking about a race like this. He does, and that was probably a, a really tall order for him. It was, I think we could even say that that was improbable as his father's indictments first came out, um, that he, with the same name as his dad, was going to be able to uh, survive with the organizational support that he has. Now that he's got that lined up, he really feels like he's uh, got the campaign on the other foot. He is getting out there, he's aggressive, he's not backing down, and and uh, Bala certainly isn't either. He's got more money raised for anybody in their first quarter as a candidate for the House ever in New Jersey. So this is going to be a serious challenge to Rob. But Rob has all the organizational support, and that really matters in Hudson County. He's also asking uh, Rob Menendez to debate him six times before the election. We'll see um, what happens there. And very quickly, in the 7th, we now... Uh, at least it appears we have the two nominees, Tom Kane Jr., who's defending his seat, and Sue Altman, uh, because the other Democratic challenger uh, backed out of mm -hmm. the race. Um, this is it. That's the lineup. This Can she it. have a path forward as a, no, she's known as a very progressive left-wing activist. This is a moderate district. She is. And you're going to see that the moderate positions of the Working Families Party and of Sue Altman are going to be the ones that she's going to feature. She's going to feature um, the ability for middle class families to get ahead. She's not going to be talking about the ones that, you know, have the ability to chafe with seven district voters. So, uh, you know, listen, the Kane campaign is going to be pulling her back to those as often as they can. They think that they have the candidate that they wanted. They think that they, uh, you know, that they know now what their playbook is going to look like and running against mm -hmm. a progressive. But, uh, you know, look, she's going to be looking to uncover every Biden voter, every anti-Trump voter in this district, and driving that up as much as she can, much as Tom Malinowski tried to do two years ago. Yeah. Mike Erasmussen, thank you so much. Thank you. In our spotlight on Business Report tonight, in Jersey City, there's a fight for better labor standards. One union, one fight! One union, one fight!
Residential building service workers rallied Wednesday demanding higher wages, better benefits, and as they called it, respect on the job. The workers are from building complexes at 444 and 474 Warren Street in Jersey City. They're organizing with Labor Union 32BJ SEIU along with Jersey City Councilman Youssef Salah. They allege property manager Brookfield Asset Management violated a public commitment to hiring a, quote, responsible outside contractor when they onboarded NFC Amenity. That's the company overseeing the workers. The union is accusing NFC of failing to provide health care, job security, proper safety training, and opportunity for job growth. Workers delivered a petition signed by more than 260 current residents at the luxury apartments in the building, calling on Brookfield to address the turnover of service there. Brookfield Asset Management and its subsidiary in charge of the location Brookfield Properties didn't return our request for comment. Expect to pay more for your electric bills starting this summer. The state's Board of Public Utilities today approved a price increase for residential customers, ranging from 3 to 8 percent based on rates New Jersey's four electrical utilities will now pay and pass on to consumers. That translates to anywhere from $4.71 extra a month for Rockland Electric to more than 8 bucks monthly for JCP&L customers. The BPU says the average bill is based in part on the results of the last three annual energy auctions. The increase is being blamed on higher energy costs. The state board says prices were about 26% cheaper just three years ago, and that gets blended into the amount customers pay. The rate increase comes after a similar bump last year when the BPU raised prices to between 3.3% to just under 7% for some customers. On Wall Street, stocks held steady today. Here's how the markets closed. Tune in this weekend to NJ Business Beat with Raven Santana. She breaks down the big business of the big game, including how New Jersey bars and restaurants will cash in, the record number of gamblers expected to make bets, and the real value of investing millions in a big game ad. Watch it on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel Saturday at 10 a.m. Jersey is facing a critical shortage of volunteer emergency responders. In Monmouth County, the problem has gotten so bad, the area ranks as having one of the worst response times in the state. Now the Sheriff's Office and County Board of Commissioners are launching a program to address the problem, putting millions of dollars behind new equipment and paid responders to help out the towns that need it most. Ted Goldberg reports. And that's incredibly exciting to me, and that's something I really wanted to be a part of. I'm incredibly fortunate to be a part of. Rob McLaughlin is part of a new EMS operation in Monmouth County. The Sheriff's Office is hiring around 40 EMTs to cut down on the county's response time for 911 calls. Monmouth County has some of the longest average wait times in the state. The resources are incredibly limited. COVID was incredibly uh, stressful, not only for our paid professionals, but also our volunteer professionals. Um, it was hard for people to get out and volunteer and willingly do something that could put them in danger, and it su we suffered a lot for it. We all know, unfortunately, the hours it takes now for training. 
And we all know, unfortunately, with family matters and dual income jobs, that volunteerism has become a little bit more difficult in our communities. Lawmakers like Senator Vingo Powell have proposed laws to entice people to volunteer. But leaders say it's been hard to give volunteer squads the numbers they need. This is really exciting. It's something that we, um, we, were, it, we knew it was going to take time to do, I will say, with the sheriff's, um, I guess, aggressive style here. Uh, it came a little quicker than we thought. The department responded to its first 911 call on Monday morning in Oakhurst. Their response time, 21 seconds. A high bar to set and a tougher one to match going forward. But reducing waiting times is the whole idea behind this new department. It will grow over the next months and years to come. Uh, but again, all with the goal in mind to assist our volunteers, work side by side with our partners, and be sure that we deploy and cut the response times down so that we're not the lower third in the state of New Jersey so that we are in the upper tier where Monmouth County belongs. We're only going to get better from here. We're only going to keep helping, keep improving, and uh, provide the absolute best service for the taxpayers of Monmouth County. While 21 seconds is ambitious, leaders are encouraged so far. Titton Falls City Councilman John Manginelli says 911 calls aren't always answered with immediate service. It was sporadic. Sometimes it was good and sometimes it just wasn't. So uh, you got a reliability issue there. I think it's uh, more, much more efficient now. Manginelli says there was one small hitch to the sheriff-led department. Local leaders feeling like a countywide EMS operation might interfere with local EMS squads. This is not coming in and taking over uh, anybody's programs. This is here to supplement uh, the programs. This is here to assure that Monmouth County residents are getting an ambulance in a timely manner. We're here to help. We are here to supplement. We're not taking any, anything away from anyone. Um, but getting these resources on the road takes pressure off departments that are overtaxed, overworked, volunteer squads. Sheriff Sean Golden says the department could grow in the future, giving more help to volunteer squads across the 53 municipalities countywide. In Freehold, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. That's going to do it for us tonight, but make sure you catch Reporters Roundtable tomorrow. David talks with Democratic Representative Bonnie Watson Coleman about the breakdowns in Washington. From a failed impeachment to a failed border bill, is there any hope for bipartisanship? Then a panel of local reporters break down this week's political headlines. Watch Roundtable tomorrow at noon on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors of our schools and streets. The PSEG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community.